Hey everyone, this is Kyle. Before we get started, a uh, quick editing note. We really did try to get this episode down to a reasonable amount of time, but obviously we still have work to do there. We had a lot to talk about given the nature of the Tournament of Champions and my involvement in it, so uh, we actually decided to split up the episode that we had recorded into two parts. So this first part is just talking about the shows that happened this week and giving some insight into the Tournament of Champions and the way that that ran, uh, wrapping up with Emily's predictions for the semifinals and finals coming up next week. Uh, and then later, uh, hopefully not too much later, uh, we will upload the dive and quiz portion as a bonus episode so uh, we didn't want to overload you with a you know an hour and 45 minute episode straight off the bat uh, so we hope you enjoy it be prepared for kind of an abrupt ending at the end of this episode uh, and keep an eye out for that bonus episode coming up later on all right have fun this is a podcast about jeopardy And I'm Kyle. We competed against each other on Jeopardy. Kyle ended up winning seven games in his regular game run. And we've been chatting about the show ever since. Each show, we start with analysis of this week's Jeopardy episodes. Then we move on to a deep dive on a question or category that was in those episodes. And at the end, we have a quiz. And this week is going to be a little bit different. We know as watchers of Jeopardy that this week was the quarterfinal round of the 2019 Tournament of Champions. And Kyle uh, was in the Tournament of Champions. Yes! Surprise, I was. <laughs> um, yeah, I was on Monday's show, and so I'll have, uh, I'll have some things to talk about, some behind-the-scenes views and some uh, maybe explanations of things that perhaps got edited out or were uh, confusing to viewers during the uh during the shows this week uh, and i'm looking forward to that so without further ado let's jump right into it all right uh we're talking about monday and this is your game kyle uh we've got kyle jones a music teacher from aurora colorado anarchy garcia an instructional design consultant from salt lake city utah and gilbert collins a university administrator from princeton new jersey and gosh i wonder what university he works for uh <laughs> <laughs> right. We're not allowed to give specifics for the places that we work or anything mm -hmm. like that, but uh, everyone everyone who was there was like, hmm, which university, Gil? Yeah. Which university? Yeah. So uh, Gilbert and Anarchy, great competitors, great people. It was, it, it was really good for me personally to get drawn for the first show of the week, because uh, if I had had to sit in the, in the green room... As much as I would have loved to continue watching Shaun of the Dead, which was the first movie that they put on in the green room for everyone who uh, was waiting to be called, if I have to wait too long before a performance, I always get I get more jittery, I get more nervous, I get more tense. And uh, watching the show, it looked like I was very nervous, but I actually wasn't. I was actually not terribly nervous in that game. I just I realized I was swaying a lot, mm. <laughs> uh, which may have made me look nervous. You played a great game, but I actually want to... Um take you back to um, you told me uh some weeks ago a little fact about the green room for the tournament of champions that i had not known um so 
hardcore Jeopardy fans know, but other folks may not, um, that until you play in the quarterfinal round, uh, you're kept sequestered so that you don't know um, what the standings are for the wild card slots. Uh, the five winners of the five games are going to advance to the semifinals, as are the top four non-winning scores. Um, and so that the later players don't have an advantage and know what to shoot for, you're sequestered until you go out to play. Um, and you were telling me that they put on movies for mm -hmm. the players who are sequestered, but that they have to pre-screen the movies because they've got 300 and something clues ready to go and they have to make sure that nothing in the movies could give you something from one of those clues. Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, the coordinators, the contesting coordinators uh, that morning uh, came into the green room with a stack of movies that all had been vetted and pre-approved by the writing staff of Jeopardy. Uh, so that no one no one could get a, a special you know advantage in the later game because they happened to watch you know this movie or that movie uh, and and get an answer from it um, and so the ones that that we ended up voting on and choosing were to start with like I mentioned Shaun of the Dead uh, cinema classic uh, and that was I believe followed up with uh, Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade I think the Last Crusade yeah I, that's I. I... I remember another contestant mentioning uh, some Indiana Jones movie for sure. Yeah, I believe um, yeah. I believe Stephen Stephen Grade uh, on Twitter made it very clear about how uh, he believes that um, that is the best ending. Now I'm not sure. Ah, nuts! Now I got to go back and look. Uh, but yeah, I think it was Last Crusade, and All I'm right. sure if Stephen listens to this, he'll let me know. Uh, but enough about the green room. Let's talk about your game. Yeah. Um, uh, so you've said on the podcast before, all of a sudden I'm grilling you, uh, you've said on the podcast before that you really think the top-down strategy works better for you. Um, I, noticed I that do. Was, I would notice that was not the strategy that you pursued, at least in the first round. Um, yes, hence me being very adamant that now I know for sure that the top-down strategy works better for me. Coming into it, I... You know, I, 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 I changed my buzzer grip. I changed my, my technique on that. Um, I practiced it more that way. And, and I also took on the belief that, like, after, after James, I had to believe that the uh, playing strategy was going to change because um, he, he demonstrated a, the, the way to maximize your score by the end of a game. And so I figured, well all of the champions are probably going to approach the game the same way uh just given that like that is that is the way to give yourself kind of the best chance of winning you know all things being equal in terms of like knowing answers or not um and even going back to the all-star games earlier this year they also played the same way they played from the bottom up mm -hmm. um they were also daily double hunting of course and all that but but in every all-star game the bottom clues went first so I figured, well, if I'm going to be one of them, I got to play that way. Uh, and then, of course, after the first clue, <coughs> um, Uncle Alex chastised me for uh, picking the, the difficult clue. Um, and then, of course, I was like, well, I've already decided I'm going to do this strategy. So I went for another $1,000 clue because I was like, okay, I didn't know that one, but there are going to be things I don't know. Uh, and so it started out with two triple stumpers in a row. Uh, and after that, 
yeah, for me, things kind of went downhill in that Jeopardy round. <laughs> I was uh, I was not particularly proud of my performance in the first round. Uh, in fact, by the first commercial break, I went around to everybody at my watch party and just apologized to them for inviting them. <laughs> you you had some you had some good guts in that round, um, but yeah, the the first minute or so was was tough to watch. I will I'll admit. And I, I think honestly. I would need to talk to Gil and Anarchy again about this, but I think I, I think we were all kind of shell-shocked by the difficulty of the questions. Like, obviously, mm-hmm. they were going to be harder. We were told uh, when we got the call that the level of difficulty was going to be higher than the regular season. But personally, I went back and, and studied the last few tournaments, you know, the, the one that um, Buzzy won and the one before that that Alex Jacob won and going back to like uh, Ben Ingram's and you know the the last few tournaments and to kind of calibrate the difficulty that I would be looking for and this may just be the fact that I was in this moment and not in those others uh, but I I feel like these this board and these questions across the whole quarterfinal uh, week were at a higher difficulty level not not significantly higher like obviously it's it's all tournament quality questions but i was put off by how difficult that jeopardy round was mm. were there were there times where you where an obvious answer popped into your head and you thought no that's too obvious and went for something else yes there were a couple um one was in the uh say yes to the chess category I thought so. I thought you. I thought I saw you almost say pawn and then say yes. what is the queen. So, yeah, the eight hundred dollar clue was uh, the queen's gambit is marked by a white's by white's second move offer to sacrifice one of these temporarily. And there were two things that threw me off. First, I that like pawn came to mind because obviously you sacrifice a pawn like. If, if you know chess at all and I, I don't claim to be a chess master or anything like that but I, I have I know some about chess um, and so pawn came to mind but I was like this is a like this is an $800 clue it's not going to be that easy and then the second part of it was that in the clue the last word is temporarily and yeah. I need to do some research into like into like chess terminology because I don't know how you can temporarily sacrifice a pawn because I know you can get a pawn across the board and turn it into another piece but i don't know how you temporarily sacrifice a pawn yeah. uh, so i need i i still need to look into that and figure out like what that means and so the word temporarily threw me off because i was like well you don't move a pawn across the board to their back row and then turn it into a pawn you turn it into a queen or a rook mm-hmm. or something like that so it can't be a pawn because why would that be temporary and then I was like, well, it's the queen's gambit, so maybe you sacrifice the queen. Like, maybe this is a kind of a, a trick question. And then it was, it was a pawn, and I was like, well, well, dang it. <laughs> I should have just gone with that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I do. And actually, um, there were, not in this particular game, or in this particular round, uh, but there were some, like, 200 or $400 clues, like, either in the Jeopardy round or the 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 double jeopardy round throughout the week that were triple stumpers not because they were hard but i think because they were too easy Mm -hmm. because like you know like i said we were all kind of like taken aback at the difficulty level and then when something seems really obvious like really easy we're almost we're like talking ourselves out of it yeah that was uh the the i appointed that supreme court justice clue the 200 hundred dollar clue was john jay which i know is washington 
I know he's the first uh, chief, chief justice, but I was like, is this a trick? It, yeah. It, I mean, I'm going to say Washington because I'm sure that's right, but I was, yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. it, it, the the first round was very tough for me because I, I was taken aback by by the level of difficulty. Yeah, yeah, I I, I too like we hit it and it, it felt like it felt um, sometimes like a hard double jeopardy round um, at the which is which is jarring as they as the uh, as the single jeopardy round of the of the first first game of the week of quarterfinals. Um, yeah, they were, they were tough questions. I liked your get on Ogden Nash, though. That was good. Thanks. Uh, yeah, my mom loves Ogden Nash. So if I'm going to know a poet, it's going to be Ogden Nash. <laughs> Which I think I'm pretty sure I've said on the podcast before that um, poets and poetry are its possibly my weakest area. Mm. Uh, and I specifically studied poets, uh, particularly like early 20th century, like turn of the century and 20th century poets, because I knew that I, I knew that I would get things wrong or not be able to contribute in categories if I didn't. Mm-hmm. And even so, I did get two. I got two of the poets uh, yeah. questions, which, you know, I, I'm pretty proud of. Still did not feel comfortable in it, though. Uh, this These categories came up, you know, going across. I appointed that Supreme Court justice, and I immediately, my heart sank, because I was like, oh, that is something I didn't study. And then homophones, I was like, okay, whatever, that's that say yes to the chess i was overconfident with poets and poetry my heart sunk even farther <laughs> i was like this is the worst thing that could happen to me yeah <laughs> yeah um i uh when watching at home what if i see categories i don't like in single jeopardy i think oh maybe maybe it'll balance out a double jeopardy uh which it kind of did for me mm-hmm. so could, do you want to move on to Double Jeopardy? Let's do. Um, so so we get to Double Jeopardy, um, and the first category you see is opera and ballet. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I studied that in school. I, I'm pretty confident there, yeah. Um, and then the other categories, alliteration on the map. No, that's a geography category. I feel pretty confident there, but I also know that basically everyone else who's coming to the tournament is probably going to be pretty good at geography uh hard podge after that no idea what that's going to be abbreviations and acronyms again could be anything to the stars feel pretty good about i like astronomy i feel pretty knowledgeable there and also um kind of space exploration that kind of thing and then the last category was party of the second part which i'm going to talk about uh after i talk about opera and ballet that category was so hard but i'm going to get there (laughs) So opera and ballet, yeah, uh, I'm coming in in a, a distant third place, 1,200 behind Anarchy's 3,400 and Gilbert's 7,400. Uh, so I get to pick first. And I started with the $2,000 clue again in opera and ballet, but I figured, you know, if this is going to be this is going to be my time to come back, I got to go big. Uh, luckily, no one, none of us got it. We did None of us knew uh, that Giselle was the title girl from the Adolf Adam ballet that dies in the first act and must dance for a ghost queen in the second now i have to look into that um but that meant i kept control of the board so then i could get the daily double uh which was the 1600 dollar clue in opera and ballet of course i didn't have 2000 but i bet 2000 anyway um and i'm allowed to remain friends with my opera singer friends because uh the clue was you'll find the queen of the night in this mozart's last opera which is the magic flute. So mm-hmm. uh, 
you know that's that's kind of like straightforward music history class which if you've never you know if you're not a music major or particularly studied opera that might you know that might not come to your mind but that was a pretty easy get for me um yeah and and for the listeners who aren't necessarily familiar with it you've heard the queen of the night are you Courtesan named Violetta is the title Fallen Woman of this Verdi opera. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of a guess for me. Um, I knew Verdi, I knew La Traviata was like Ver- one of Verdi's most famous operas. Um, he has other famous operas like Aida and other plenty of other things. Um, but I remember, I've seen La Traviata once, and I remember that it was kind of about a fallen woman. Um, so that was, that was my guess. Felt good to get it. Uh, and then... Tristan and Isolde, the $800 clue, Wagner wrote an opera about this pair of legendary lovers, King Mark's nephew and King Mark's intended bride. That's Tristan and Isolde. Um, if you, again, going just going through music history class, uh, one of the notable things that I remember is um, when we were learning about Wagner and we had to kind of do uh, listening tests to know, to identify like what this is from, who wrote that, that kind of thing. Uh, the, the example that we were given was I'm not I don't remember exactly what part of the opera it's from, but it's it's just Tristan and Isolde singing back and forth to each other, going Tristan, Isolde, Tristan, Isolde, just like over and over again. So it's like, oh yeah, that's obviously Tristan and Isolde. Um, so I'll never forget that. So that was pretty. That was that was a good like, ah, uh, yes, I'm comfortable now moment. Yeah. Uh, and then and then the four hundred dollar clue was. About not Frank. really a ballet clue right like that yeah. is to to my point that like no category is is going to have every i'll take that back meant most categories that don't have some gimmick running through the entire thing there'll be something in there that is framed as if it were about the topic but it's really some other category some other some other field altogether right 1818 yeah. novel experimentalist named Victor discovery of galvanism like this is not a question about whether you know things about ballet this is a question about whether you know things about literature right yeah which I was lucky to get in on um I don't mm-hmm. I honestly don't know if the other two were trying to buzz in on that one but yeah. uh, I was lucky to get in because uh, it was I mean Frankenstein I feel like was a pretty easy get I mean it's mm-hmm. a $400 clue gonna not not necessarily gonna be the most difficult and so i had my my most comfortable moment of the match there well where alex said you found your category and i said yeah now it's gone that was uh, that was charming <laughs> thanks i appreciate it I'm, I'm glad i got a chuckle out of the audience i was worried that it would come across as me being mopey which yeah. i wasn't I, I wasn't mopey i was just like finally feeling good and then like ah nuts now i have to choose one of these mm-hmm. um and you'd moved into um a close second uh, pretty close, right? Am I am I reading the scores right? Yeah. Yeah, actually, I was I was up to like sixty eight hundred or something. Yeah, Anarchy got uh, the Greek deity um, who has on his resume smithing and uh, made the first woman Pandora, uh, correctly identifying Hephaestus. Oh man, I wanted that one so bad. Yeah, I, yeah. I thought you knew it. Um, and then we had a triple stumper about Hamburger Hill. 
and then you uh, correctly identified in the alliteration on the map category um, Baffin Bay uh, mm-hmm. as the place where polar bears and arctic foxes are found along the shores of this arm of the North Atlantic. Pretty proud of. Shout out to Canada. I did a lot of study of Canada in nice, my prep for the tournament. Nice work. And then you went to uh, the alliteration on the map category at the 2000 level and you hit daily double number three. Yes, I did. So the clue is before 1910, the area that's home to the southern tip of Africa bore this name. And the correct response is Cape Colony, which I could not pull. There are a couple of, or really just one big reason that I couldn't pull it. I, I know that South Africa used to be called Cape Colony. Like, that is a fact that I know. For for whatever reason, and I'm not I'm not sure why, I'm not sure what it was in the wording of the, que- of, the of the clue, perhaps the southern tip part led me down this uh, path, but I was stuck on, like, names of the physical geography. So mm-hmm. I was thinking, what did the Cape of Good Hope used to be called? Like, I, I was not thinking in the realm of geopolitical names. If I had been, if I had allowed that into my brain, perhaps I could have gotten the Cape Colony, but I was just desperately trying to, to think of what okay, what did explorers call the Cape of Good Hope before mm-hmm. they called it the Cape of Good Hope? Because I'm pretty sure, and uh, I'm pretty sure bef- when it was first navigated by Europeans, they called it like the Cape of Storms or something like that. But then people stopped wanting to travel that route, so they called it the Cape of Good Hope instead. <laughs> um, kind of as a, you know, a, a euphemistic rebranding of the area. But that's stuck in my, that, that is something that is in my brain. Um, and so I was trying to come up with like, what is a C word for storms? Like it was Cape of Cape of Chaos, uh, Cape Cape mm. Calamity. Like I was like, what what could it have been? And then I just ran out of time, and he said Cape Colony, and I was like, oh, oh, that's not at all where I was thinking. Yeah, it was a bummer. That thought process totally makes sense to me, though. So that put me back down, put me back down. But uh, yeah. I, I'm pretty. I'm actually. I'm proud of how I did in the in the double jeopardy round. I mm. I feel like I made a good move. And obviously got myself in a position where I could could get into a wild card spot. So we got a lot of flack on the internets for not knowing Pam Dauber from Mork and Mindy, but like yeah, that would you know no shade it no shade on Pam Dauber or anything, but Mork and Mindy was significantly before my time, and it did not have the kind of like rerun life that things like Happy Days did or like other shows from before my time. Yeah, the final episode aired in 1982. I, uh, I'm terrible at guessing people's ages, but I know that that's before your time. Yes. Uh, yeah. I knew that, I knew that Robin Williams was Mork, like, but that's about all I had. On sure. That. Yeah. No, I yeah, had yeah. Mork, but I, yeah. yeah, none of us got Mindy, but yeah. And again, that's like not knowing it isn't an insult. Like you don't know yeah. what you don't know. It's mm-hmm. not like we all got together and decided, you know what? I'm never going to learn who played Mindy. <laughs> so there. <laughs> Right? Yep. <laughs> yeah. All right. So that brings us to final Jeopardy. Uh, I was in third place with eighty four hundred. Gilbert had nine thousand. So a very not a, not a big gap between myself and Gilbert. And then mm-hmm. Anarchy had eleven thousand four hundred. Um, so in like in a regular season game, pretty like that's that's a pretty close score going into final uh, Jeopardy. Mm-hmm. Um, and with the wild cards on the line, you know it could change betting strategy. Um, so the category was ancient history, and the clue was according to Herodotus. A messenger was sent 150 miles from Athens to Sparta just before this 490 BC battle. 
and the correct response is what is the Battle of Marathon. So I had some I had some thought going through it. Uh, so did the others. Um, I didn't immediately write down Marathon. Uh, it was the first one that came to mind, but I also considered Thermopylae uh, simply because my, you know Athens and Sparta around that time, basically within within the the, the hundred year time span around you know five hundred BC and four hundred BC. Uh, if Athens and Sparta were you know not fighting each other, they were probably fighting the Persians. So basically, it was either in my mind going to be uh, Marathon or Thermopylae, and I initially. Like I talked myself into Thermopylae because I was like, no, Marathon's too obvious, and they wouldn't do that in a in a game that has been this difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, but then I, you know, I, I I got myself out of it for two reasons. One, why would a messenger go from Athens to Sparta when it was Sparta who headed them off in the first place at Thermopylae, uh, and then Athens kind of needed to be informed. And two, they put in 150 miles. Now that could could be a red herring to try and get you to say Marathon. But to me, that was actually a clue pointing toward Marathon, even though it's not the 26.2 or really 25 that we would think of as a Marathon. But I felt like they included the distance for a reason, so it's probably that anyway. Right. Jeopardy is sometimes very hard, but they're not usually super sneaky, unless they put at the top of the, you know, at the, at, as the category that they're being sneaky, which they did later in the week. Yeah, I, I had a similar thought process at home. Yeah, so you so you got to Marathon. I got to Marathon. Uh, and I doubled up because I figured 8,400 is unlikely to be enough for a, uh, a wildcard spot. And betting less than it all isn't really going to make much of a difference. So might as well go for it all and give myself the best shot. Gil made a, made a smart bet to uh, ensure that if he got it right, he would at least get second place. Uh, and have a higher wildcard spot than me. And Anarchy ended up uh, putting what is Justice for Barb, which if uh, you haven't found out by now, uh, is a Stranger Things reference. Uh, apparently, a lot of people online informed her that they thought she looked a lot like the character Barb from Stranger Things. And if you've never seen Stranger Things, I'm just going to tell you to watch it. Yeah. And not get too attached Not get too attached to Barb. But that ended up putting Anarchy down... Uh, pretty low for 4,799 uh, which we now know ended up not being enough for a wild card yeah and that's she's said on some public forums I think that she considered marathon and then rejected it because a marathon is 26.2 not 150 yeah and uh, then couldn't come up with what she saw as a viable alternative and so decided to put a joke answer which oof that uh that's hard i would i cannot i do not envy that position at all that would be really really tough and of course a bunch of you know armchair champions at home giving her giving her flack for well why don't you just why don't you just put it anyway if it's the only thing you could think of it's like well she was she was sure that it was not right so in her mind putting marathon would be the same as putting a blank or putting putting a joke you know yeah Um, um I feel like I, I had a lot of anxiety about like what if I say something that is wrong and makes me look stupid you know um sure uh and uh I feel like a big part of getting prepared to be on Jeopardy for me was like trying to 
get into uh, like a like a headspace of being like I I'm going to I'm going to do my best and if I say something that makes me look stupid so be it you know but like so, when the thought of putting down something that you're quite certain is wrong I I'm not sure I could have done it if I was certain something was wrong I know that like putting marathon is much more like like that marathon is much more likely to be the answer to an ancient history question than justice for barb but if i was adamantly sure that it was wrong i don't know if i could bring myself to write it yeah i understand where she was coming from yeah i mean i i almost talked myself out of marathon because i yeah i was like okay that that thing is misleading me and it might be too easy like i fully support anarchy yes i fully support everyone in the tournament let me just throw that out there but in this particular moment anarchy i got your back cool so Gilbert won, automatic semifinalist, and I had a pretty good score at 16-8 uh, moving forward, according according to people who do statistics and statistical analysis of that kind of thing. Uh, mm-hmm. I believe just straight up 16,800 advanced 84% of the time in tournament history, so mm-hmm. it was pretty good. It was like it was a pretty good pretty good score and I was I was okay with it. I was bummed I didn't win. I was I was feeling kind of sore from having been in you know thoroughly in in third place the entire game that didn't feel good to me you know ego wise all right that brings us to tuesday oh man we gotta go fast okay (laughs) so that was my game so i had a lot to talk about so we can probably move faster through these yeah we can we can go faster okay uh so tuesday uh brought us to rob warman an engagement manager from edina minnesota Drew Gar, a student at Brown University from Gainesville, Georgia, who was the uh, college tournament champion, and Rachel Lindgren, an ast- astronomy interpreter from Bend, Oregon, which uh, I've had a lot of people ask, or I've seen people asking, like, what is an ins- astronomy interpreter? And uh, basically, she she works at a like an observatory or planetarium when people like look through a telescope. So it must be an observatory. People look through a telescope, and she basically explains to them what they're seeing which sounds like one of the coolest jobs in the whole world. Yeah, that sounds pretty cool. Yeah. And uh, last week I called this one for Drew and then yeah. was second-guessing myself because people on the internet are like, oh, well, he's just a college student and, you know, they do fine in the college tournament, but, you know, that's more geared toward younger people and maybe you don't have the kind of broad pop culture knowledge that you need at like nope i i was right i shouldn't have second guessed second guessed myself i was right 100 percent. drew drew really impressed me in this like obviously like he won the the college tournament which is impressive in and of itself but uh in the in this game he he did Im- impress me with some of the stuff that i i guess stereotypically would not have assumed that the college uh contestant would have known um but yeah he he had a great game solid all the way throughout uh, and you know Rachel did too, and and realistically Rob also had a, a, a not bad game outside of the two big daily doubles that just took him out of it. Yeah, oh that was really hard to watch. Um, I just really felt for him. The before and laughter category uh, took a little bit, I think, for the, the the contestants to like catch on to what the gimmick was. So it is a before and after category, but it is specifically about like comedy and comedians in a before and after setting so i think Mm -hmm. that that kind of threw off their their mindsets which you know it's a tournament they're gonna do more tricky gimmicks they're gonna do some of those weird uh weird categories 
that are that require a bit more thinking within the, that five seconds that you get. Mm-hmm. But they did well. I mean, I think they got they ended up getting all of the clues. They did. Yes. Actually, um, Rob, Rob got four out of five. <laughs> and uh, he was ruled against on the on the eight hundred uh, biblical first man's donation to make his mate that ultimately turns into a term for a joke. And he rang in with um, what is Adam's ribbing. Um, and was ruled incorrect, but subsequently got that reversed. They they were going for Adam's rib tickler, but they decided that ribbing was uh, did fit with the fit with the clue. Um, yeah, which I'm glad they did. I remember when when he said that uh, sitting in the audience, I, I was like, "Yep, that's that's right." And then they said no, and I, I was surprised. Yeah, I I guessed uh, Adam's rib tip, tickler, so I felt good about that. But I think nice. I, I I completely agreed with them that Adam's ribbing did fit with the clue and that if you have a clue that is ambiguous enough to allow another correct answer um they're really committed to uh you know to to honoring that and not being like well that's not the one we were thinking of Um, right like it doesn't matter what you were thinking of it matters what you asked right Uh, it's not pub it's not pub trivia where uh the quiz master whatever they have written down is the correct answer no matter what (laughs) you know so i'm glad that that went well uh, and then in the radioactive elements category, uh, there were a couple that uh, were uh, worth commenting on. First off, Druve uh, got the Daily Double, which was on the $1,000 spot. And the clue was these two radioactive elements were discovered in 1898. He guessed, or he, he said, what are radium and curium, which makes a lot of sense if you don't know the answer, because radium was... I believe the first radioactive element discovered by uh, Marie Curie. And then if you know that it's Madame Curie, then you might say, well, that's probably also curium, right? Mm-hmm. But the correct answer is radium and polonium, which uh, drove later on after the show when we were uh, sitting in the audience together debriefing. He, he, he said, yeah, I got that exact question wrong at Quiz Bowl not too long ago and i totally forgot the right answer again oh no <laughs> which is which is hilarious and totally relatable <laughs> totally um if i remember correctly um i i knew that i i knew it couldn't be curium um uh because if i remember correctly it's like you don't name an element after yourself like an element can be named in honor of a scientist but sure. not uh not like oh they discover it and name it after themselves like that's mm-hmm. uh um, that's not good form yes <laughs> right yeah i mean realistically you probably could but then the scientific community would be like look at this yeah. guy and then the the 800 clue above that uh kazakhstan is the world leader in producing this explosion producing element first found in pitch blend uh the correct answer is uranium which drew got but rob rang in first and said uh, potassium and a lot of people uh <laughs> a lot of people were like whoa that's a really deep pull referencing borat and rob was like i i did not think that <laughs> <laughs> but if we go you know if you think back to that that yet another classic of cinema apparently one of the one of the bits in in the movie borat is that uh kazakhstan produces superior potassium <laughs> i mean he he may not have been, I, I don't know if he's ever even seen it, but I don't know. I, I, I'm sort of curious, like, if maybe somehow it, it, he uh, encountered that at some point and that uh, 
Yeah, it's some um, like it's some really really like dark recess of his brain that triggered it and yeah yeah maybe but we get to the end of the first round uh rob is in third place Drew has a good lead at six thousand, mm-hmm. uh, and so rob goes first in double jeopardy so we've got uh the dark ages we've got pac-12 schools fictional characters pop culture geographica and anagrams of each other i love anagrams of each other oh that's me too. a great yeah yeah i like anagrams and wordplay anyway which i think most mm-hmm. trivia people probably do yeah kind of the big story of the double jeopardy round is the the daily doubles um yeah they were it looks like number 10 and 11 like the 10th choice and 11th choice so so you know decently into the round rob had been moving up a little bit uh he he encountered the daily double in fictional characters at the 800 dollars level which is the quote-unquote easiest uh level that you can find a daily double and so mm-hmm. he went on, he went all in on it which absolutely like that's the right that's call. That's the right move. Absolute 100% every time the right move, especially in that situation when you're behind mm-hmm. and you're kind of running out of real estate on the board and it's an $800 clue, yes, go for it. Um yeah. and the the clue is jilted on her wedding day, this Dickens character teaches her ward Estella to despise men. And the correct response is Miss Havisham which I believe is Great Expectations. Yes. Quick confession. I've already confessed this a number of times on the few episodes we've had. Uh, I have not read much Dickens. Uh, Great Expectations is actually in the, the stack of books that I'm looking at right now. I honestly, I haven't read much Dickens either. I, I have read A Christmas Carol, and that might be it. That might be the it. The Tale of Two Cities for me. Oh, okay. All right, so I think you're maybe doing better than I am on reading Dickens. I don't know that I could have gotten to that one. Um, and he has correctly gone true daily double, so he drops to zero. Um, and then he, again, I think right call here, he has dropped to zero. We're in double jeopardy, it's clue 11. He heads for one of the $2,000 clues, and I don't think he's daily du- double hunting. I think that he's trying to build his bank back up yeah. so that if he can find another one, he's got something to bet right, with. Right, he can get back in the mix, yeah absolutely yeah and he hits the last daily double which Um, i think was it last week or two weeks ago uh you mentioned you talked about how much you love when daily doubles come back to back never mind i take it back i'm so sorry rob i'm so sorry (laughs) i had to bite my tongue so hard to be like oh just you wait (laughs) Uh, oh Uh, yeah like we got it he, he got it and and you know those of us really it was just me or me gill and anarchy sitting together in the audience and we were like "Ooh, that's rough but i mean at least he's keeping it out of the other people's hands you know no one is gonna be able to double theirs up and just make it a runaway yeah so he uh he is in uh the dark ages category the clue is before it met one who attacks and receive who attacks received ideas let me try that again before it met one who attacks received ideas, it meant one who opposed and even broke idols in the Byzantine Empire. And you can see him trying to get to it, uh, but he goes for what is a heretic? And the correct answer is uh, what is iconoclast? So he drops to negative 2,000. And, and you know, kudos to Rob. Like, you could you could tell that that, that hit him really hard, but he mm-hmm. he kept playing. You know, it, it yeah. would have been easy to give up at that point. I know, I, I'm not sure what I would have done, but he, he kept going, which was great. And uh, so, yeah, he's got 
19 clues left in the game, right around the end of the game. Drew, Drew keeps getting some, Rachel keeps getting some, um, but right around the end of the game, Rob really sort of hit his stride and managed to get out of the hole just in time. Yeah, the very last clue uh, with the lowest dollar amount available, he got himself above zero. And that, that there was sort of a, a, a funny, poignant moment at, um, at clue number 28, uh, Pop Culture 800. Uh, Helga and her horned helmet is the demanding wife of this comic strip character, and he rings in with what is Hagar the Horrible, um, and uh, then notes that it's apropos. <laughs> it's so good. Um, <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> he's just taken himself back up to, I think, negative 400 with that one. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Rob. Um, and uh, then he got one about Fast and the Furious. Uh, uh, and then clue number 30, uh, this Narnian lion appears in several other forms, including a lamb. He rings in with what is Aslan or who is Aslan um, and gets up to 400 just in time for double jeopardy. And I, I stood up and applauded in my living room. Kyle. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> oh, we, yeah. Um, I mean, again, it was only me, Gil, and Anarchy sitting in our like sequestered area away from the gen pop of the audience. We, the, we were on the edge of our seats. Like we were, we were hoping we were pulling every clue that came up, like get it, get up there, Rob, get up there. And then he got the last one. And I don't know if you can hear us. They might've edited it out, but we, we yelled pretty loud <laughs> when, he, when he got that and, and got up to 400. We were very excited. I should go back and listen. Yeah, yeah, that was that was a great moment. Nobody is following the Potent Potables Facebook page, although you should. Um, but I uh, that day I changed the cover photo of our Facebook page to um, uh, an image of Aslan from the uh, from the film adaptation. Yeah, um, sort of in Rob's honor because yep. that was great. Mm-hmm. Um, Rising at the right moment, right? All right, so that takes us to Final Jeopardy. Category, the 50 states. Clue, in 1840, this New England state was home to 24 of the 100 most populous U.S. urban places. Now its capital is its only one in the top 100. So, did you get this one, Kyle? I did. And this was another one that I thought, um, that that I almost talked myself out of because I thought it might be too obvious. And the correct response is Massachusetts. Right. Um, so, Massachusetts is my home state. Um, I grew up in Worcester, Massachusetts. <gasps> um Worcester, which is yeah, which is currently I believe the second most populous place in New England, um, and I know that the first, uh, like the most, the most populous place in New England is Boston. Uh, so this was this was a no brainer for me. Um, yeah, sure. Yeah, I went through a lot of I went through every New England state in my in my mind, and Massachusetts ended up being the only one that really like obviously made sense because it is correct. Um, but it was also the first one that came to mind. And with Final Jeopardy, I, I, I always like take the first thing that came to mind and put it aside rather than just going with it. They all got it. Everyone, all three got it. And, and uh, Drew locked up a spot. Rachel made an interesting bet of 3,601. 3,601 looks to me like she's trying to um, cover a zero wager from Drew, but I wouldn't expect I mean it I wouldn't expect a zero wager from Drew it does mean that even if he's wagered very small if he gets it wrong and she gets it right she gets that winner spot True. in the semifinals True. um yeah I'm not I, I'd be curious what her thought process was and maybe we could ask her she might be might yeah. be able to fill us in but anyway that brings us to Wednesday 
Uh, so, but we've got Lindsay Schultz, uh, physician and healthcare analyst from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. We've got Alan Dunn, a software development manager from Johns Creek, Georgia, and James Holtzauer, a professional sports gambler from Las Vegas, Nevada. James was the clear favorite going into this because he just shattered all of those records earlier. Yeah, record, uh, record after record. We're we're not too surprised that he that he managed to win this one. Yeah. Um, yep. Uh, but I was delighted to see Lindsay and Alan hanging in there. Yeah, they they played well. They played really well. James obviously won all those games and in the resounding fashion for a reason. But yeah, they they played well. Lindsay, uh, Lindsay, we now know locked up a wild card slot too. Um, mm-hmm. So that was that was pretty big. Um, you know, after my after my game, I was not not too certain that 16,800 would 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 really be a wild card spot yeah. because... historically it, historically you, it has been you've been you know that's that's a good position but this is you know people are playing a little bit differently yeah um yeah people especially recently are playing much more i don't want to say loose but you know betting much bigger and mm-hmm. you know consistently so i i fully thought that you know maybe you know 20,000 might be the threshold because everyone is just going to be going big all the time. That turned out not to be the case, as we see. Um, mm-hmm. People, even James himself, actually played a bit more conservatively, uh, which was maybe that's just my mistake and not, not you know, reading things properly. Um, there was a category in the Jeopardy round called All In. Uh, which, which is like James's catchphrase. Right. And, and it's possible that I shouted oh come on at my TV. That that is I'm sure I'm sure you and plenty of other people did uh after taping ended the contestant coordinators made it very clear that category selection is a randomized process done by a third party and no matter what ends up seeming like it might have been purposely done for a particular contestant that is not the case. It is a random selection. So we just happened to end up with that, you know, which was good television, like that neat to see, I thought. And and he played into it, which yeah. James is, seems pretty comfortable on TV and, you know, being being himself. So the the first category, the not it's not Australia. No explanation mm-hmm. on that. And even if you had gone through from top to bottom, I don't know how much I don't know that it would have been more clear than going from bottom to top. Basically, it's just, it's not Australia, but it's another country that starts and ends with A. Right. Is the gimmick. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I got it. Uh, they started, well, they started in a different category, but they, they did that one from the bottom up, and I got it after the first couple that it was that the countries were all going to start and end with A. Yeah. And at that point, I knew that the $200 level would be Austria, right? sure Um, like that that makes the most sense right like yeah at the 200 dollar level it's not australia it's It's austria Austria. yeah um there was a second clue that was revealed was the thousand dollar clue in that category and the clue is it has an area of 180 square miles not three million and it has princes not a queen and the correct answer is the correct response is andorra and gilbert i remember just the priceless look on his face of of just sheer confusion and just like what the hell is this <laughs> like we <laughs> we had no clue what they were going for like where where is this coming from <laughs> it was it, it was it was a good moment in the audience 
Uh, but I thought the rest uh, of the rest of the round was pretty straightforward. Yeah, I thought so too. Good on Lindsay for finding the daily double and keeping it away from James. Yep. Um, yep. Uh, she correctly identified um, the planet which completed its first orbit in 2011 uh, since its discovery 165 years earlier. Uh, that's Neptune, which I guess I've uh, my but, but what I was studying for Jeopardy, my um, then five-year-old drilled me on uh, solar system facts. Nice. Uh, yeah. So I, I didn't know about the how long it would take Neptune to orbit, but I guess it would be the furthest that is still considered a planet. Um, sure. I don't know if yep. that thought process is actually holds water in terms of like math and physics, but uh, yeah. I mean, that was my thought process too. So no matter what it, I mean, it got us to the right answer. One quick thing in the reality show breakouts, the $400 clue in 2019, this original American Idol launched her own daytime talk show. Alan mm. rang in and said, who is Kelly Ann Clarkson? Yes. And he had just said a few seconds earlier, rung in correctly with Carrie Ann Inaba, yeah. um, who I did, who I don't know. Oh, um, from Dancing with so, the Stars. Yes. Uh, yeah. So he rang in with Kelly Ann Clarkson possibly sort of tripped up by Carrie Ann and Abba, um, was ruled incorrect and James picked it up. Um, and I wrote in my notes, um, this is one of the reasons that it's important to be in the habit of doing last Last name only. Yep. They, they actually stopped the show after that to ensure that Kelly Clarkson's middle name is not actually Ann. Um, so the judges did research. They, they wanted to make sure that she had never been referred to as Kellyanne Clarkson um, in any way. And what they discovered is that her middle name is actually Brianne. So he was unbelievably close so <laughs> while close. still being wrong. So close. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it, it can be uh, strange sitting at home to, to see players ringing in and referring to people by their last name who are always referred to by their full name. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But trying to avoid the rare instance where that happens um, is the reason that they're doing that. Um, Because there are some exceptions, but for the most part, if you give a last name only and they want a full name, Alex will say, be more specific. Um, But if you give an incorrect first name, then you're just wrong and you will be ruled incorrect. Yep. All right, double jeopardy. So we had a possibly the most highly anticipated uh, category among Ooh. Tournament of Champions contestants, and that is, of course, initials to Roman numerals to numbers three. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this is the third time that this category has appeared in a Tournament of Champions, and man, we talk so much about, ugh, there's probably going to be Roman numeral math, and before and middle and after, and triple rhyme time, and all this nonsense that they love to put in the Tournament of Champions, and then here it comes out, and I don't know, uh, I'd have to go back and watch the show again and really listen for it, I don't know if if they left it in, but those of us in the audience, like we, very loudly reacted to the to that uh, category <laughs> when it was revealed. <laughs> we were like, "Oh, it happened! It's here! <laughs> like we knew it! We called yeah. it!" <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I love that category. I love it. I didn't get all of the responses correct, but I love the category. Yeah, it's it's one of those three step questions, and three step three step questions are very hard on Jeopardy because you have five seconds. You first, mm-hmm. you got to figure out, obviously, what they're asking for. But then you figure out the first part, which is, you know, who are they asking about? Then you translate it to Roman numerals. Then you do the Roman numeral math. 
that's that's mm-hmm. three steps to get to the answer and you have to do that in five seconds it's very yep. hard if you're good with roman numerals um uh then sometimes you can uh without knowing the full name of the person take like a reasonable guess uh which i don't know if james knew the first name of charles Ingalls. maybe he did he knows a lot of stuff uh Um, i I hope he doesn't mind me saying this but he did tell us he did not know he figured okay uh he figured it was either a c or an l because those would be like common men's names (laughs) so i'm guessing that he knew Ingalls because he he would he would know laura Ingalls wilder and that Ingalls is her maiden name so her father's last name starts with an i so it's it's got to be an i yeah and uh and then you can work from there i think there may have been another one where i knew only one of the names uh the rest of the game i thought it was a very good game um that i think all the players played well you know james you know he followed his his typical form i i really enjoyed his daily double wager let's make it a truly disappointing 1109 i i thought mm-hmm. that was thought that was clever and, and very charming. Um, yeah, and... I, I agree. Um, and I also thought uh, all of the people who are like, James always wagers big. Why would he never ever wage, you know, why would he ever wager small, you know, uh, who didn't understand his um, his final wager uh, in regular season play. I thought, well, the, you know, this is a this is a moment where it's very clear. Why, why would you wager small? Um, you wager small. In this case, he wagered small because... He had a lead that he didn't want to risk, and there was not as much to gain increasing it as there was to lose in dropping way down. Yep. Yeah, because you're not winning. You're not winning dollars in these games. Mm-hmm. You're just getting a, a spot in the next round. So he does not need to maximize his winnings at all. He just needs to be ahead of everyone else. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and so that brings us into final Jeopardy. Uh, James does have it locked out at this point. Uh, Alan has 6,000 and Lindsay has 10,800, both in, in okay, like, Lindsay in really good position to be able to put herself in a wild card spot. And Alan, if he doubles up, you know, 12,000 is not a, it's not a bad position to be in. It's mm-hmm. not a lock by any means, but it, it's not bad. Yeah, so they've, I mean, they've, uh, I mean, clearly James is, James has a, a lock game, but they've, they've really held their own, especially given what you're looking for in a, in a tournament of champions quarterfinal. Right. Um. Uh, so they get category 20th century America. Uh, the clue is in 1939, turned down by two local theaters, Howard University was able to get an outdoor venue for this singer's yearly concert. Correct response is <clears throat> Marian Anderson, which is a pretty uh, pretty significant like moment in American history when when uh, mm-hmm. Marian Anderson, as Alan correctly identified, sang at the Lincoln Memorial. <laughs> Mm-hmm. But man, I, I feel I feel yeah, and I was also not getting to Marian Anderson. I don't remember what I was thinking, but it, it was like, like if you combine the name Marian and Anderson together, that's what was mm-hmm. stuck in my brain. And I was like, I know that's I, not right. I had Marian, but I kept getting stuck on Marian Williamson. Ah, uh, oh no, <laughs> is yes, uh, who is not a singer not from 1939 uh and rather is um a uh, democratic primary hopeful totally understandable understandable mistake uh yeah i um i sort of gave up because i was at home and you know didn't have to like really sweat it out but um 
sometimes if I get really stuck, I'll start, I, I will start either at A or at Z if I'm trying to get like a last name or a city or something. Um, and I'll be like, is it anything that starts with Z? Is it anything that starts with yep. Y? And, that, and I, sometimes I start with A, sometimes I start with Z. And so maybe if I'd started with A, I could have forced myself to get it. I don't know. Sure. But I, I definitely felt for Alan on the one who sang at the Lincoln Memorial. And that's, you know, that's a moment of, of you know, like, you know that you're not going to get it. But you sort of want people to know that, you know, that, you, that you're familiar. Right. That you know it. You just, you're just not pulling it at that time. Yeah. Which I get. Yep. That happens to all of us. And so that ends up James, you know, keeps his spot, goes on, mm-hmm. and Lindsay gets herself up to 14,000. If I can gloat for a second, I think I'm the only person who said that a wild card was going to come out of this match of any of the predictions that I heard. I think you are too. I think way too many people just just figured James would crush through and not give anybody, not give the other contestants uh, breathing room. Yeah, I didn't specify Lindsay or Allen, um, but I yeah, I thought I thought he had I thought James had really strong competition for that match and that we were likely to see a wild card and in fact we did um so i'm very excited to see Lindsay play again yep yep she she got herself a she got herself a spot moving on next week yep all right right. that takes us to thursday uh the return of emma betcher who uh who defeated james holtzauer in regular season play um uh, she is a user experience librarian from Chicago, Illinois. We've got Eric Backus, an attorney and government relations professional from Oviedo, Florida. And we've got Josh Hill, a network engineer from North Little Rock, Arkansas. A lot of people were calling this the, the group of death. It's, this is an intense group. And this might be because I was, a, you know, I was one of the contestants. And not being considered one of the group of death, you know, may, you know, maybe hurt my feelings a little bit. Oh, maybe I hadn't thought about it from that perspective. I mean, that's that's just being, you know, childish about it. Um, I would but, say any group with it with you and it is a group of death. Uh, does that thanks, does that help? thanks. I always wanted to be, you know, considered <laughs> a death. Um, <laughs> no, a lot of people, a lot of people consider that, and I mean that's fair. They're all like they're all very strong players. I. However, I don't know. Looking at any of the days, I kind of felt like, well, these are all kind of tough. But yeah, you know, whatever. Statistics, you know, play out in the ways that they do, and people yep. people have their impressions. That's fine. Um, I had a very weird game playing along at home. I just started like blurting out wrong answers in single jeopardy, and I barely got out of the hole before the epi- before the before the round ended. Wow! Um, so I I finished the si- I don't know why I finished the single jeopardy round with a thousand. Normally I have like nine, ten, eleven, somewhere in there. Um, and then double jeopardy came, and I just crushed it. And nice. it was I had a I had a twenty thousand dollar round at home, so that was fun. Um, nobody cares about my performance though because <laughs> I was not playing the game. So uh, they had a great game though, and the the one thing I have a note on from Single Jeopardy is um, that it cracked me up when Alex corrected Emma's pronunciation of bruschetta. <laughs> yes, because nobody says it like that. Yeah, <laughs> I'm aware that that's the correct Italian pronunciation, and I bet Emma is too, you know. But like, sometimes you're like, "Am I going to say it the way everyone says it, or am I going to say it 
the pretentious way because I know that's how they pronounce it in its language of origin. Exactly. Do I want to be pompous or do I just want to like say the answer? <laughs> you know? like if you can get it at the Olive Garden, do you have to pronounce it with an Italian accent or no? <laughs> right. right. I can go to Costco and get a box of it from a freezer. I can call it. I can call it bruschetta. Okay. <laughs> Whatever. Yeah, that was that was pretty fun. I personally loved the bugle calls category. Everyone else hated it. Every other contestant mm. was like, what is this? We saw the category called bugle calls and we were sure it was just going to be like some sort of like gimmick or like tangential thing to like, you know, to what they were actually asking. But they were legitimately asking, what are the bugle calls? And I was a bugler in Boy Scouts, so perhaps I have an advantage. Maybe. I loved every moment of it. I thought it was great. I thought it was a good category. I I was surprised not to that Reveille was never a correct answer in that category. Sure. Once I understood the category. Oh no, we we started from the top. Okay, yeah. Um I I was not surprised that Taps was the $200. Yeah. Clue. Side note, as a pastor, I do a fair number of funerals including sometimes um uh, military funerals I and mean, you know guys who uh, served way back in the day um, but sure. uh, but a detail uh, is sent for anyone who um, who was part of the military and I have no I think there I'd heard that there was a shortage of buglers but then there were these guys who would come and there would be taps and I realized eventually um, that they have like a little speaker in in like in the bugle so if they're not able to send an actual bugler they send somebody who holds the bugle and the little speaker plays taps oh and that makes me so sad like if you're listening to this and you're considering learning to play the bugle like please do because um yeah here's the thing about the bugle it has no valves so if you can buzz your lips you can probably play it yeah um that that is sad that's a bummer I, I should probably yeah. look into if if there are buglers needed around here because I could do that. That's or I could have I could see if kids if some of my students want to do that. Thank you for that PSA, Emily. That's yeah, that's good. Uh, anyway, back <laughs> back to the game. Eric did really well in the Spanish category. Solid round, <laughs> solid Jeopardy yes. round from all three. Uh, they picked up most of it. They've lost a little bit to triple stumpers and wrong res- uh, wrong responses, but yep. you're gonna. I mean, especially especially in a tournament of champions game, you're gonna expect that. Yeah. Uh, and Emma goes in with goes into double jeopardy with a slight lead, and uh, she was the one who found the first daily double, but it was early, so she was only able to do a thousand. So, but then we hit double and i mean they they all they all get they all played a pretty good game but wow emma 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 took off yep she yeah she put the hammer down and and really took off um and yeah like you say eric and josh both played very well there were not mm-hmm. uh there were not very many incorrect responses really throughout the game there were only five incorrect responses throughout the game uh throughout the whole game and so and everything got well not everything but there were some there were a couple of triple stumpers but really a clean game and well played from all three i I think this is Mm -hmm. probably probably the cleanest game of the week Um, yeah um really really great solid clues too um the jeopardy keywords not category um was a little bit of a surprise um 
we haven't seen that before, right? I don't think I've seen that before. Not that I recall. Um, and the gimmick there, uh, it's kind of inside baseball, um, is that each clue had a phrase that would lead you to think, oh, this is Jeopardy, and it's saying, you know, this, such and such, and so obviously it is X, um, but in this case it's not, right? right. Uh, so this Paul McCartney band, if it's Jeopardy, you're going to say, oh, this Paul McCartney band, the Beatles. Right. Um, in this case, it's, it's Wings. wings. Um, yeah, this Paul McCartney band had hits with Helen Wheels and Band on the Run. Um, so similarly, this dairy state was not Wisconsin, but was California. Um, uh, born in ba- Braintree, this John uh, was a founding father. The, it is not John Adams, it's John Hancock. He's the March King. It's presumably there too obvious with that phrase they were were going for i would think would be susa yeah yeah Yeah. uh so but then they went on to say uh at least of england based on his five pomp and circumstance marches that's uh, elgar and uh eric had a nice get at 2000 um there was an image uh works like the ones seen here were created by this barcelona born spanish surrealist and that's miro you hear spanish surrealist you think dali of course um of course yeah but yeah, good. Like you said, yeah, good. Good categories, good questions, and and good play, mm-hmm. straight through. Yeah. And then daily double two, the first of the double Jeopardy round. Um, some Scrabble folks are a little annoyed about. Um, I don't know if you've heard any of that buzz. The clue was in Scrabble, this alternate name for the tailbone will get you many more points than quote unquote tailbone. Um, so a couple of problems here. Mm-hmm. I mean, Emma correctly answered coccyx, right? And you've got to think what word would have a high Scrabble value and is an alternate name for the tailbone. Like, that's, that's obvious. But uh, Scrabble nerds are saying, well, in a Scrabble set, there's there are only two Cs. Right. So you um, couldn't get coccyx. Co- <laughs> so, so you, well, you could use a blank tile, sure. but you don't get points for your blank tile, sure. right? right. And if you played tailbone, unless you were playing it across... Two, all, two or more already existing, like two or more that were already on the bone. Tailbone has eight letters, so if you're adding it, adding on seven of yours, then you're going to get a 50-point bonus. So, like, the point math didn't sure. exactly make sense. make sense there because it sort of depends on your Scrabble game yeah. and whether your tailbone is a, is a bingo. Yeah. Uh, you're, tail, you're playing up the word tailbone yeah. is a bingo. Yeah. Um, but... That is some that that's some very deep nerd debate. Sure. Um, sure. Um, all right. Uh, so we go into final Jeopardy. Um, uh, Emma almost has a runaway. Um, uh, but not quite. Categories. Yeah, not quite. Category is twentieth century art. The clue: a derisive description of the shape of the houses in the nineteen eight painting "Houses at Listock" gives gave this art style its name. And uh, Emma's the only one to pull the correct response. What is cubism? Mm-hmm. Um, Eric goes with what is art deco. Josh goes with what is minimalism. Yeah. Um, Which both if you're fine guesses. if you don't know, yeah, both fine guesses for that time period. Um, uh, 1908, uh, 1908, a bit early for art deco, um, but not a mm-hmm. not a bad guess. Minimalism again, uh, like, like if you don't know, cubism. Uh, I was able to pull this pull this one, and I think probably because i spend a lot of my time in the humanities Mm -hmm. i was thinking about it like like that kind of thing like knowing time periods of artistic movements and things like that probably just comes to me more easily because like i spend every day working with music and like thinking about you know music history and things like that and so it's more on my mind than 
someone who perhaps works more in the tech field or, or something like that. And of yeah. course, we're all trivia people, so we know things that are obviously outside of our normal day to day. But that's that is a a hard question to to just get to the answer. Like obviously, if they're if you got to see the painting, probably mm-hmm. all three of them would have gotten it right. Oh yeah, yeah. So I I thought about I guessed it correctly. I didn't know the painting, but I thought about the time period. Um, so uh, I think also you know I'm somebody who you know more of a humanities person. Um, so that helps. And then thought about which uh, art movements uh, or styles um, have names that might be perceived as derisive yeah. um, or come from something derisive or you know pejorative. So I was not confident about cubism, but I had it. Josh and Eric both wagered, I think, to try and get the wild card. Josh kept it pretty small and like a like a weird number, so I sort of wondered if there was like personal significance there, sixteen oh three, because I don't see that making sense like from a that that specific number making sense from a math math perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you're looking for a for a wild card bid, um, you know you've got you've got some wiggle room. Um, sure. So you, sure. Yeah. So let's talk about Friday. We've got. Francois Barkham, who uh, was the winner of the teacher's tournament, um, an 11th grade physics teacher from New Paltz, New York, uh, not too far from me, actually. Oh, cool. Uh, yeah. Uh, Stephen Grade, a sports industry consultant from Atlanta, Georgia, and Ryan Fenster, a graduate student from SeaTac, Washington. And Francois, of course, we said teacher's tournament. Um, he is the winner of one of the two teacher's tournaments that happened. Um, uh but unfortunately, the winner of the other teachers' tournament mm-hmm. passed away uh, before this tournament of champions. Um, yes, Larry Martin passed away from pancreatic cancer, which is oddly uh, coincidental, I guess, given uh, Alex's current uh, struggles. Um, so, mm-hmm. as was mentioned on the show, we all uh, we were all wearing purple ribbons to tribute Larry and also Alex and support that. Yeah. So. I thought that was a really lovely gesture. Yeah, credit goes to Gilbert for organizing that and taking care of all the ribbons and getting that to us. So. Oh, good. Yeah. Yeah. So we had we had I, I liked the I liked the single Jeopardy round on mm-hmm. Friday. We had a Shakespeare category that Stephen did. Uh, Stephen ran the Shakespeare category. Yeah, uh, setting the scene in Shakespeare, so it it gives you the scene. You have to name the play that it comes from, and Stephen did run it. He he crushed it. I would have done so bad. <laughs> I knew the Merchant of Venice, and I—I I had all of them except for King Lear. Mm. Uh, there was also a miscellany category, which I don't know if we've mentioned on the podcast yet, but it's—it uh, pe- it is known that like potpourri and miscellaneous and hodgepodge categories are just made up of clues that didn't get revealed in previous shows that the writers like held on to, and they just throw them together. Yep, they've done the work. They've spell-checked them. It's things that they maybe haven't used in a while on Jeopardy, and so they don't want them to go to waste. Right. And so I wonder if this is miscellany from previous tournaments, which would it would make sense in terms of difficulty, but it wouldn't make sense in terms of the way that they run the tournaments, especially the quarterfinals round. They make sure that every clue gets revealed so that there's not uh, like more money in play in one episode as compared to another episode because that would potentially cause an unfair advantage for a wild card spot. So mm-hmm. I, I don't, um, I haven't done the research, but I don't know if there has ever 
been like unrevealed categories in tournaments. Uh, so I'm I'm just wondering where this miscellany came from, or did they intentionally write new questions for a miscellany category? Oh, that's an interesting question. Yeah, I sort of I sort of imagined that maybe they just took all their leftover, you know, two thousand and sixteen hundred dollar questions and turned them into yeah, and they may miscellany have. and hard podge. They may have, and that and that's probably that's probably the most likely. But yeah, that just made me think. We all enjoyed that uh, Francois in single-named celebs category uh, got the $400 clue. In 2010, back when she still spelled her name with a dollar sign, she had a number one hit with We Are Who We Are. And of course, uh, Francois showed the youngins what was up by getting Kesha. We all enjoyed that a lot. I love when older players get pop culture and like like kind of lowbrow pop culture. Yeah. Well, and I love Kesha, you know, but mm-hmm. like, you, you wouldn't peg Francoise knowing Kesha. Similarly, a couple days prior, uh, Alan Dunn getting the, the television, sh- television show Jackass. Right. I, uh, I had oh, another yeah. moment like that. We, I, I, I like that. We loved I love it too. <laughs> yeah, it, we all enjoyed that a lot. Yeah, uh, and the Jeopardy round uh, ended up, and I can totally 100% relate. That was a rough round for Ryan. Uh, coming in as the, the highest game winner and the highest dollar amount winner and just having a rough round for that, that Jeopardy round and com- going into double Jeopardy significantly behind. I know how that feels. Yeah, um, and having his uh, ruling reversed on um, college board versus college boards. Right. I, I noticed him add that S uh, and Jeopardy is strict about that. Right. You, you need to... You can't add an S where there's not supposed to be one. Right. Um, if, if, if it's a proper noun, which College Board right. is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which, yeah, it was it was tough. But, you know, he kept he kept playing. Absolutely. Yeah, he, kept, he stayed he, in it. Which I really got to say for all the players in this tournament. Like, obviously, we're all we're all champions and we're all, like, going to try really hard. There were, there were some moments, like we had mentioned earlier with Rob and, you know, where things didn't go a player's way. But I don't I, – I think everybody really, really, like, gave it their all. Yeah, that's that's certainly how it looked watching it from home. In the double Jeopardy round, I enjoyed all of these categories. Classic rock guitarists, bodies of water, stamps, tough crossword clues, black holes, and revelations. I, uh, the, the clues in here were really, I thought they were really good just across the board. There was clue in, in the tough crossword clues, uh, $1,200 level. Muse of love poetry, five letters. Uh, the correct response is, uh, what is errato? which Francois mm-hmm. ended up getting, but he got it as a rebound after Stephen rang in and asked, or and, and answered, uh, what is Sappho? Knowing that that was incorrect, but the reason that that was on his mind, uh, and we all talked about this that day, is uh, in Learned League, that was the day that the question about Sappho was, uh, like, was, was active, and so... <laughs> that was the only thing he could think of. He knew what it was, but when he rang in, he, the only Greek name he could think of was Sappho because of Learned League. Watching his face, you could sort of tell that he knew it was wrong. And uh, I felt like it was one of those moments that we were talking about earlier where you have to make the decision about whether you're going to go ahead and say the thing that you know is wrong mm-hmm. um, rather than say nothing. Mm-hmm. You know, so good on him for saying it anyway. Yeah. The Daily Doubles were major swings in this double jeopardy round partially you know uh francois betting eight thousand on his daily double uh and getting it eight hundred dollar level clue in bodies of water this sea is fairly straight on italy's shores but dented by coves and islands on the balkan side which is the adriatic sea 
that bumped him way up. He was already in a good position anyway at at that question. But yeah, that that took him pretty much out of reach. And the other the other daily double, which was which Ryan revealed earlier uh, in Revelations. Um, the clue is a best-selling 1836 autobiography by this frontiersman who died that year was revealed as a hoax in the 1880s. So you had to know which frontiersman died in 1836. Uh, Ryan guessed who is Jim Bridger, uh, and the correct response is who is Davy Crockett. And Ryan, yeah. Ryan, I believe, went all in on that one? He did, yes. yeah. He, he made it a true daily double at clue nine in the round. Mm-hmm. Um, he had 5,400, and he was trailing. It was the... I think it was the right call. Yeah, I mean, um, you got to go for it. Looking at the graph. Yeah, no, he sh- that, that was that was 100% the right decision. I think that I saw him start to say Davy Crockett, and then, I mean, I can't read his mind, but my guess was that maybe he wondered if that was too easy mm-hmm. for that dollar level. Yeah, um, yeah, that, that totally could have been. And then Alex was ribbing him about uh, singing, singing again earlier, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> that's that's a more for uh, that's a more eel. <laughs> yeah, which was uh, which was nice. He almost got dinged for forgetting to say what is first, though. Um, yeah, which so, you know, yeah. it's the double jeopardy round. There are rules, you know. <laughs> we're not supposed to get a chance to correct it. Whatever. Yeah, I'm not. Um, I'm not throwing that at Ryan. I know. Um, it was a good. It was know. a good I response. Know. I liked it. Was a, it. Yeah, it was it was a good moment. Stephen and Francois did really well in the classic rock guitarists. Um, I did not know those things. I uh, that's a weakness of mine. So I I sort of maybe knew Jimi Hendrix and the rest. I'm not sure I would have gotten. Yeah, let's see. I knew Hendrix. I knew the Doors um, because that's like the that's kind of the trivia thing about the Doors. If it's not Jim Morrison, it's that they didn't have a bass player. Yeah, the guitarist for Queen, Brian May stellar dude and then stevie ray vaughn i don't think i pulled that one yeah the higher level clues i did not get i don't claim to be a a a pop music or you know rock expert my expertise lies uh kind of before the 20th century which is usually not useful yeah i'm not great on rock music my my uh my pub trivia team will tell you uh i'm there for the other stuff they 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 handle the rock questions oh yeah um Mm -hmm. yeah and if it's pop music if you're in like 1997 to 99 i'm brilliant (laughs) (laughs) outside of that i'm average sure those two years where you where you discovered that you could carry your walkman around in school right yeah, yeah, there was there was a brief period where I was like, maybe if I know all of the information about the things on the radio, people will think I'm cool. Oh, yeah. No, that's middle school, <laughs> right? Yep. Yeah, those were my middle school years. Yeah. Uh, yeah, 100%. Yeah. Behind you. Anyway, Final Jeopardy. We, we come into it, Francois, with just uh, an utterly absurd total of 34,300 to Stephen's 9,200 and Ryan's 4,000, 4, which... Stephen played a very good game. Mm-hmm. Uh, he missed three clues, but played a very strong game and ended up at 9,200, which Francois was just uh, incredible. <laughs> and, yeah. And, and like I said, I think like Ryan, Ryan played hard. He was behind going into double jeopardy. He went all in on that daily double. And if it, if it had worked out, it would have put him in a great position. Um, he made the right call there. So even, even battling back to 4,000 by the end of the round is... Like that's impressive. That that yeah. was hard to do. Uh, and then the final Jeopardy category is literary characters, and the clue is from an 1894 work. 
his name literally translates to Tiger King. And so this was the last uh, clue of the of the tape day. So all of us, the contestants who had taped previously, we were all sitting together. This came up, and we all kind of looked at each other, and we were like, okay, this is kind of on theme for the week, where the final Jeopardy clues, for the most part, seemed to be easier than than we were set up to think they would be by the boards that we had in the regular game. Yeah. Um, obviously, the cubism one was was significantly more difficult uh, than any of the others throughout the week, I think. But this one came up, and we all kind of looked at each other, and we're like, cool, all right. We all would have gotten that, <laughs> you know, yeah. which is a bummer for those who, who, you know, missed their final Jeopardy. It's all, it, it is like a kick in the gut to be like, oh, why, why did I not draw that one? Why mm-hmm. was that not mine? You know, then there's no explanation for it other than just dumb luck. Yep. But that's not satisfying, you know. Um, and so the correct response is who is Shere Khan from the Jungle Book. In that's case, right. In case we, I didn't say that. I, uh, I've heard some, uh, some chatter. I can't take personal credit for this. Although that in, it felt a little bit like a callback to a Final Jeopardy from the All-Star Tournament. Mm-hmm. Um, which was a chapter of the Jungle Book has this double talk title echoing the opening line of a Brit's poem some 100 years prior. Uh, the correct answer to that one was Tiger, Tiger. Tiger, Tiger. It's a poem by, poem by Blake. Yeah. And I, I think the writing staff likes to do that kind of thing. They, they uh, you know, you never want to be able to get it too directly, but sure. finding, some, finding some resonances yeah. Um, yeah. across tournaments. And and sometimes being a bit self-referential, too, yeah. is fun. It, I mean, it's fun for the, the regular fans to see it. It makes it more interesting. Just an aside about Shere Khan, I, I'm pretty sure I would have written Shere Khan, but I, every time I think of that character, the first name that comes into mind is Shaka Khan, which I know is wrong. <laughs> I know it's not right. But I'm, a, like, I'm glad I didn't get that clue, because I'm afraid I would have tried to write Shaka Khan, and that would have been utterly embarrassing i'm not sure i could have pulled shere khan in time i uh i i was very excited to see what would happen and so i looked at the uh the the final jeopardy post says the new york times clue of the day in the morning um and so i looked at it and thought about it for a while i don't know that i could have gotten it in 30 seconds Mm. but they all got it ryan doubled up steven doubled up francois bed zero intelligently i mean it really wouldn't have mattered if he bet anywhere, you know, from zero to like 15,000. He could have bet any of right. that and it wouldn't have mattered. But yeah, Steven doubled up, which uh, bumped him up to 18,400, locking him in in the first place wildcard spot. And so uh, that bumps bring... you down to number two. Number two! Ah, <laughs> uh, I had it all week, Steven. Steven. Yeah, so that brings us to the end of the week, and so we know who our semifinalists are. The winners from each game, just as a recap, we have uh, from Monday's game, Gilbert Collins. From Tuesday's game, Drew Vgar. From Wednesday's game, James Holtzauer. From Thursday's game, Emma Betcher. And from Friday's game, Francois Barkham. And so if you look at the scores for each of the winners, the top three seeds are going to be Francois, James, and Emma, followed Actually, Emma followed pretty closely by Druve, uh, and then Gilbert, the the fifth of the winners. And so our and then our wild cards. Number one is uh, Stephen Grade. Number two is myself. Number three is Lindsay Schultz, and number four is Rachel Lindgren. Which sadly means that after the first round, we have lost Anaki Garcia, Eric Arbacus, 
Josh Hill, Alan Dunn, Ryan Fenster, and Rob Warman. Uh, so all all like great competitors and very prepared. It's just the way that things go. Uh, and so going into next week, the lineups for the semifinal games will be as follows. Monday, Emma Betcher in position one, Drew Gar in position two, and Kyle Jones in position three. Uh, Tuesday, we'll see James Holtzauer, Stephen Grade, and Rachel Lindgren. And then Wednesday, we'll see Francois Barkham, Gilbert Collins, and Lindsay Schultz. All right. So, I mean, I feel like each of these three games has a clear favorite. Sure, um, right. They split up the, the top seeds who were yeah. pretty dominant in their games. I have a feeling we're going to see an upset in one of these games. I don't have a good sense of which. But the thing about, I mean, they're, they're the top seeds. They're statistically most likely to win. But, you know, the thing about statistics is like, you know, if, you're, if somebody's 80% to win, then, you know one out of five times there will be an upset right um statistics work over the large scope yes exactly so i don't know i mean the the sort of the 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 most likely is that we'll see emma for monday james for tuesday francois for wednesday but yeah i just I, i just have a feeling all right much as i want to go with you for monday oh thanks I do. I hope it's you, right? Like, you're the one I'm cheering for. Sure. But if there's going to be an upset, I'm going to say it's Drew on Monday. Mmm. Mmm. All right. I'm, like, trying to interpret your... Mm. No, get, <laughs> uh, getting spicy. I like I like yeah. that. All right. Uh, I think I think James Holtzauer has the match versus Steven and Rachel, although, you know, an upset there would be very exciting. Sure. Um, but I'm going with James okay. for Tuesday. Francois was just so unbelievably strong. It could be that he got a board that was really good for him, but I don't think so. I think he's just that good. So he's my prediction for Wednesday. Okay. So you're going to lock in your predictions as Drew, James, and Francois going on to the finals. That's, yeah. Okay. We'll go with that. Okay. Uh, And then given that the whole week will have wrapped up by the next time we tape, and those being your predictions, if those are correct... Who do you see taking it all in the finals? Or, or even, like, what are your placements? What do you think for those three? Ooh. Yeah, I guess I should project it all the way out, shouldn't I? Sure. Um, all right. So here's what I'm going with. Um, I think I'm going to call the whole tournament for Drew. I think he's fast. They're all fast. Uh, but uh, sort of popular wisdom is, like, the, the college kids are, like, buzzer whizzes you know like you want you want the you want the college quiz bowl kids uh you you want the college kids on your quiz bowl team and you want the older folks on your like pub trivia team like it's a like it's a speed versus depth thing sure there are i mean everyone in the tournament is fast and has an absurd level of knowledge um but but i wonder if if drew will be able to win on the buzzer enough if he can find some daily doubles i think that he could uh, I think he could win the tournament with James Holtzauer super close in second and Francois coming in third. Okay. That's we're, we're way out in conjecture land. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. Like the first step has to go right for the second step to be possible, but yeah, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I have no idea whether, whether the first step will go, go, go right because somebody is super duper committed to their non-disclosure agreement. Yeah. 
but that's fine. Yeah, here's the thing about that non-disclosure agreement. Uh, it is a million-dollar non-disclosure agreement, and the total prize pool for the entire Tournament of Champions, if I did my math correct, is somewhere like $490,000 or something like that. So even if all of us pooled our winnings from the tournament, we still wouldn't be halfway to the amount we would owe for breaking our non-disclosure. Jeez. So, yeah, I'm yeah. not, not going to do it. <laughs> yep, that that is a wise choice. Yeah, although uh, I will say uh, some of us on, on Twitter have been having fun with fake Tournament of Champions spoilers. That's been pretty fun. <laughs> yes, I've been enjoying that. Yeah. All right. So we have our predictions. We'll see. We'll see how they pan out. I mean, last week, with uh, one <clears throat> noted exception, Emily was like on it. So who knows? Yeah. I I called I called seven out of the nine semifinalists. Mm-hmm. Seven out of nine. Which is um, pretty good, given yeah, given four everything. Four out of five winners. Yeah. 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 I'm pretty pleased with myself. And here is the end of our uh, Tournament of Champions analysis. Be sure to watch out for that bonus episode coming up. Thank you so much for listening. We really appreciate you spending quite a bit of your time with us. Uh, We hope you enjoyed it. And uh, be sure to give us a subscribe and review and tell your friends. All right. We'll see you next time. Mm